This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. You are listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. Hey everyone, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt F. The Oracle of the Action Network and Rotoviz. Welcome to the March 9th, 2018 NASCAR edition of On the Daily. I'm joined by Dr. Nick Giffen, an owner of Rotoviz, a PhD in mathematics, a three time qualifier for the DraftKings NASCAR main event, and one of the best NASCAR DFS players in the world. You can follow him on Twitter at Rotodoc. Nick, how's it going? Hey, Matt, I'm doing great. Uh, it's the March 9th edition, and uh, March 9th is my wedding anniversary. So, uh, fortunately, my wife, Dina, uh, let me record a NASCAR podcast on our fifth wedding anniversary. Hey, that money's not going to make itself. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. No, uh, we, we went out and celebrated last night, actually. She uh, she works Monday through Thursdays, so she has Friday off as well. So, we decided to... Uh... They call you the grill master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing. Celebrate our anniversary a night early. That's good. Really, it's just like the the first night of the the uh, like long weekend anniversary celebration. So yeah, that's it's, usually it's, it's like, like the same thing with birthdays, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. The the party like, lasts um, for multiple days. Yeah, or like the Daytona 500. It's like a celebratory weekend. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> or really, really any NASCAR race, you know. Or, or any weekend. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, any any weekend. If you're lucky, the weekend can even flow into Monday. You know. Yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. All right, uh, let's uh, let's get this show started. Uh, earlier focus, this focus. week, yeah, let's let's bring it back in focus. Earlier this week, we previewed the uh, the weekend's NASCAR Cup race at IMS Raceway in Phoenix. Uh, so everyone, be sure to check out the midweek podcast to hear about the key stats, the race strategy, and uh, the lessons learned so far in 2018. So we're recording this on Friday night, per usual. Qualifying finished a couple of hours ago, and uh, combined with first practice, which took place earlier today. Uh, Nick, what are your impressions of uh, Phoenix as we get into the weekend? Yeah, my uh, my first impressions are um, I still am learning the name of this raceway because it's no longer Phoenix International Raceway. I put it on the outline as IMS, but it's actually ISM Raceway, so I'm already failing there. But <laughs> it, was, it was a multiple fail. I should have factored exactly. that. Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. But uh, anyway, um, no, Phoenix uh, is, is such a cool track, and I, I love racing there. Um, unfortunately, I won't be able to get to go, but uh, I am going to Auto Club Speedway next weekend. But uh, that said, um, you know, we're in race two here with the West Coast Swing. Early impressions, um, you know, I think there's some interesting names kind of towards the top of the speed charts, towards the top of the uh, practice and qualifying times. Uh, so, yeah, definitely I think we're going to have a, an interesting weekend. I mean, you know, we always talk about Kevin Harvick being the dominator at Phoenix. Well, he wasn't uh, up there in terms of practice. Uh, you know, he practiced 11th and then he qualified 10th. So I'm sure we'll talk a lot about him. Uh, because I wrote the outline, but, uh, you know, Kevin Harvick, not right up there at the top, top. And then there's some other interesting names that we'll get into that are right near the top of the speed charts. So I think the, the early indications here at Phoenix, obviously it's very early, you know, practice one teams don't do too many laps and they are in qualifying trim and, uh, then they qualify. So it's not necessarily as indicative of race conditions, but we've seen so far this early, uh, a few surprises. I just want to say, uh, in retrospect, I, I feel not quite as horrible about my Truex over Harvick uh, prop bets, considering that Harvick's car was on the juice. You know what I mean? Like it's a, uh, it's it's hard to uh, to overcome when when guys are, are juicing their cars. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, uh, so that that was certainly an interesting situation. Um, you know, Kevin Harvick. Uh, I guess at, at Vegas there were some photos going around Twitter of how his rear window looked a little dented in and uh, the specifically the spot it was dented in on the right rear of the uh, window there uh, could have been used to maybe um, add some extra, extra air, air down onto that rear wing on the right side of that rear spoiler, I guess uh, not wing. It's just more like a spoiler, but uh, and, and give him a little extra downforce in that right rear. But uh, yeah, he was kind of on the juice there. How does, how does stuff like that get through inspection? Like what? What is the function of inspection if you don't catch something like that? So that's actually a really good question. So, so for those who don't know, Kevin Harvick was officially assessed a level one L1 penalty um, thanks to that w what they're calling a rear window brace failure. Um, he also had illegal side skirts. I think they're supposed to be made of aluminum and they weren't or something. Uh, I don't know how that is not caught in pre-race inspection, but the rear window that kind of deformed during the race. I think it was something that was kind of designed that way that uh, under non-race conditions, it looked okay. But then when you get up to speed, it could deflect and you can't really do inspection under 180 mile an hour winds pressing against your car, right? Uh, you're driving through the, the air that's like an 180 mile an hour wind blowing on your car. Uh, that might have been enough the way they designed the rear braces to – to deflect the windshields like that, the real windshield like that, to intentionally cause the brakes to fail. And then after the race, it kind of pops back to normal or something. So that's something that could have been intentionally done. Maybe it was an accident. Who knows? But either way, the rule very clearly states that you can't have any deformity to the rear windshield uh, or anything like that. And so um, obviously that that became an issue, and they got assessed an L1 penalty there for uh, – uh, yeah, an illegal car, essentially. So seven points taken away from playoff points for Harvick. He still gets to keep the win, but uh, the seven points, you know, five points for the win and then one point each for taking stage one and stage two. Those seven playoff points no longer are Kevin Harvick's lost 20 uh, regular season points as well. Yeah, and uh, crew chief Rodney Childers was fined $50,000 and car chief Robert Smith was suspended for the next two races. How does that impact Harvick moving forward for this race and the race after that? 
Yeah, um, it, it's it's tough to say. Uh, obviously, this is a great racetrack for him. Auto Club should be a good racetrack for him, given how you know he's been very good at Atlanta, the other high tire wear track. So I think in the immediate future, maybe it, it maybe it doesn't, but um, you never know. I mean, if this is something that was really helping him out, uh, maybe the fact that they can no longer do this ends up hurting the performance. So it, it's tough to say. Usually we think these things aren't a super big deal, but sometimes they actually can ending up be, you know, a bit of a bigger deal. And I think it's less about the personnel uh, and more about, um, you know, just like what can they do with the car now because they know they'll be under NASCAR's uh, watchful eye even more and they won't be able to do the things they were doing now if they were intentionally doing it. If they weren't intentionally they doing be able, it, yeah. yeah. They won't be able to cheat in the way in which they've grown accustomed to cheating. Yeah, exactly. And that, yeah. you know. We've seen it before. <laughs> okay. Uh, honestly, so much more to talk about with, with Harvick specifically. But before that, I need to remind everyone that you can get a 30% discount to a special NASCAR pass through our NASCAR podcast homepage, rotaviz.com slash NASCAR podcast. With that pass, you get unlimited access to all of Nick's premium NASCAR content and your subscription supports the pod. Uh, okay. With Harvick, uh, I think it's a similar situation to Joey Logano last year uh, where he was racing very well. Uh, he was penalized because of issues with his car. And then after that, uh, he didn't race nearly as well. Uh, do you think we could kind of by extension, look at Harvick and say, uh, some of the advantage he had early in the proceedings for this season had to do with his car and he won't be as dominant moving forward. Like, is this kind of an opportunity to fade Harvick? Yeah, that's a really interesting question, and and you know, kind of to reference what you talked about with Logano, he won the first Richmond race last year, which was like race nine of the season or something like that. So very early in the season, um, and he had uh, I think it was like seven top eight finishes in those first nine races, uh, including that win at Richmond. But the car at Richmond was illegal. Um, I think it was something with the rear suspension was illegal, and they got assessed an L1 penalty. Like Harvick got this past weekend. Are, are you about to say encumbered? Because yeah, think that's well, your favorite word. They've officially eliminated encumbered from the terminology. That was actually a, a, a uh, conscious decision by NASCAR to remove the word encumbered because fans hated it. Like it was <laughs> a legitimate fantastic. actual decision That's by great. NASCAR. That's great. <laughs> but uh, yes, it was encumbered last year. This year, Harvick's win is not encumbered, even though the same thing is kind of happening where uh, all the stuff is taken away. But after that, Logano wasn't the same. Um, his average finish before the penalty was something like in a sixth or seventh place average finish, and after the penalty was like around 18. Uh, so totally changed his year. Do I think that'll happen with Harvick? No. Obviously, it's not unprecedented given what happened with Logano last year. Uh, we're also talking a different issue with the car uh, with the rear window deflection instead of a rear suspension. Uh, that doesn't mean it, it is any more or less impactful. I mean, it's I almost think in some ways this is more impactful than the suspension issue, but but maybe not given how much Logano's performance changed. Um, but there is also the issue of, you know, the rocker panels or the, what they're called the side skirts were not made of aluminum. So that's clearly intentional. Uh, so we'll have to see how this impacts Harvick. I think um, specifically at Phoenix, it probably impacts him less just because he's so damn good. And, uh, you know, he was so good at Stuart Haas racing early, you know, at Phoenix in his, in his Stuart Haas career, the last few years of his Richard Childress racing career, he dominated Phoenix. So I think it's gonna be less of an issue for him at Phoenix, even with missing personnel there. I mean, he had different personnel at RCR, like we said. Uh, I think the personnel issue, the, the, the car issues will be 
less of an issue at Phoenix than at other places just because he's so darn good here. But going forward, maybe at the mile and a half it changes something. Maybe it does. Who knows? We'll have to we'll have to see. Um, I wouldn't rule it out, but I would at least think at Phoenix and probably I don't know less. Maybe maybe it would at Auto Club just because it's so high speed. It's a two mile track. And, you know, they do get up to around 200 miles an hour on the straightaways, even though it is a high tire wear track. Uh, aerodynamics do come a little more into play than in Atlanta. Maybe it could affect them there, but we'll have to see really a lot of the mile and a halfs going forward uh, if it'll if it'll affect them. But I think at this weekend at Phoenix, it's probably not going to be a huge deal. All right, so I have a, a question that's not on the script, so it could be horrible. Uh-oh, uh-oh. The, uh, the pre-race and post-race process of inspecting cars – um, how much of that is a formalized process? Like, is there sort of like a, a strict rule book, like strict guidelines? Uh, or if a guy breaks or if a crew chief, if, if a guy's car is found at some point to have been out of line with the rules, does that mean that uh, moving forward he gets more attention or does he just get still the same attention that all of the other cars get? Like, what is the process there? Yeah, that's a really good question. So before the race, everybody goes through a pre-race inspection, um, and they have to pass NASCAR-mandated uh, – well, it used to be templates, but now they have to pass a laser inspection system to make sure everything is within tolerance. And it's a very strict system, and um, I'm not sure why they didn't they didn't catch the side skirt issue. Um, I guess everything was within tolerance in terms of measurements, but they didn't catch the material. Uh, and then the rear window thing, I think, happened under race conditions, of course, so – that's tough to catch. Post-race, there's also an inspection. You go through post-race inspection. Every car does. They find a problem in post-race inspection. They can assess you a penalty. And there can be all sorts of various levels of penalties. You know, If you're missing a lug nut, it's such a minor penalty uh, because that happens during a pit stop and it just be an accident. Or uh, if you go all the way to you know adding jet fuel to your car, if they find that out or something, you know, mid-race, you're adding jet fuel to your car like Michael Waltrip did back in the many years ago in the Daytona 500. Uh, yeah, I mean, it could be huge penalties, but the idea is um, there's a pre-race and a post-race inspection. Then there is a secondary inspection for a f- certain specific cars. Um, NASCAR takes them to their NASCAR R&D center, tears the car down, and does a more thorough inspection. It's In the past, it's been the race winner and second place, and then usually one random car. And the one random car is always one that seems to like outperform their expectations based off of my uh, kind of experience with seeing this. Sometimes it's a third-place car. Sometimes it's like Matt Benedetto finished sixth, though we definitely need to inspect his car because he never finishes sixth, right, uh, mm-hmm. kind of thing. So um, it's usually first and second and then a random car. So obviously the race winner is always going to get inspected uh, at the R&D Center at NASCAR midweek. Um, second place does, and then a random car. And uh, like I said, usually the random car is a driver that seems to outperform their expectations. So they discovered Harvick's issues in the midweek inspection and also probably through Twitter photos. Um, this is going to be a, a dumb question. So just brace yourself. If you were a, a driver and you knew that your car was uh, illegal uh, in some sort of capacity and you run, you, you, you won a race, wouldn't you sort of be incentivized somehow? Like after you won the race to accidentally like spin it out and wreck it, We've we've actually seen that happen in NASCAR before. Um, There was one famous radio communication where it was it Chad Knauss after a Jimmy Johnson win, his crew chief Chad Knauss essentially hinted to him to like back it into the wall or something. Um, 
So yes, I, there is definitely some incentive if you're a driver and you know that's going to happen uh, to to you know, do a burnout and accidentally air quote lose control of your car and, and run into the wall or like go from the banking into the grass and tear the splitter up or there's all sorts of ways you can uh, accidentally air quote damage your car in the post race celebration and that's something NASCAR has also been looking at as well. I don't know if there will end up becoming a rule on post-race celebrations, but certainly we've seen that in the past. Now, Harvick didn't do that. He may have not even been aware of this. Um, sometimes the drivers are completely unaware of what the crew chief or, or, or the team is doing with the car um, because that's kind of out of their control. They're there to drive the car, not to design the car. But, sure. Uh, that's, uh, definitely... that's, what, that's what Tom Brady <laughs> has to say about the footballs, too. Exactly, exactly. But, uh, yeah, I, sometimes they don't know. Sometimes they do would be my guess. And um, we, I think we definitely have seen times where teams have tried to cover it up in post-race celebration. All right, so uh, let's uh, let's talk a little bit about Phoenix. Harvick, uh, if I would have had to set the like over-under for Harvick's DraftKings salary for Phoenix coming off of two consecutive wins, it definitely wouldn't have been 11200 It would have been probably closer to like 12000 But it's, it's 11200 uh, but he qualified only 10th. So uh, with the penalty, with the qualifying, the qualifying position, and with the price tag, uh, what do you think that means for Harvick on Sunday? Yeah, this is such a tough question because um, I remember the very first was it the very first year of NASCAR when uh, it was called the King of the Speedway. It was the main event, the, the DraftKings NASCAR main event was called the King of the Speedway. Yeah, uh, and Harvick was eleven thousand eight hundred dollars. He had just won the race like four or five times in a row at Phoenix. Um, and he was the dominant driver that year. He was 11,800. I would, I would normally expect something closer to that, but of course last year he wasn't quite the dominant driver. He's been the early part of this season. And I think DraftKings is just kind of, um, still putting a lot of weight into last year, which I actually think makes a lot of sense given the variables we talked about midweek, uh, that go into Phoenix last 18 races. Well, last 18 races include the first three races from this year and the last 15 from last year. And Harvick wasn't the number one driver. Uh, granted, we also say track type at Phoenix is important, and also just the fact he's been so good this year is the reason he's up at 11200 So I think actually the price tag is pretty fair. Um, I would have set the over-under at about 11000 uh for Harvick, but uh, 11200 I'm, I'm glad to see that uh, DraftKings being a little aggressive with the pricing. And the other thing is not only are being aggressive with Harvick's pricing, but then you've got Truex at uh, 10,900, Kyle Busch 10,500. I think it's the first time we've ever seen three drivers at 10,5 or above. And then you've got Kyle Larson at 10,3. So, um, Kozlowski 9,9. Like, I don't think we've ever seen five drivers at 9,9 or above. It's, it's, it's wild. And, and I should say, it's not 11,200 for Harvick, it's 11,400. So, I am also just like totally off the game today with the outline. But uh, 11,400, I think, is is still more than I expected for Harvick. Obviously, I expected 11,000, then 11,2 is more, and 11,4 is more. But uh, yeah, I think it's 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 interesting. So what does it mean for Harvick? Um, well, he probably needs to dominate a portion of the race to justify the price tag. If he starts 10th and finishes second, uh, that's going to be 42 points for finishing position, eight points for place differential. So that'd be 50 points. 50 points probably isn't going to be enough at 11,400. I'm sure he'll get some fastest laps. So, you know, if he finishes top three, he'll probably be in the winning lineup, but just barely. Uh, so he really needs to dominate to justify his price tag at 11,400 um, most of the time. So does it equal a fade? 
I don't know if he equals a fade. We'll have to see how he practices, obviously, because practice is so important at Phoenix, and Harvick is so good at Phoenix. But, um, you know, it, it, we also have to see what the model says about his ownership percentage. But uh, I could certainly see an argument for fading Harvick this weekend, depending on what we think his ownership percentage will be and how he practices and things like that. Okay. Uh, one, you made me look like a total jackass. I know. I'm, uh, I mean, it's, it's like it's like twice now on this outline. It's like – what, we're not even on? through question one of the outline. This is like one C. <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. So this this has basically been like the the Harvick cast. Um, so let's let's move on from Harvick. Uh, Chevy's took four of the five top spots in practice, and uh, three of the top four spots in qualifying. Uh, so Chevy's have struggled to this point in the season. Uh, is this the week that we see them break out? Man, I mean, I thought maybe it was last week after seeing their practice times in final practice and, um, you know, knowing it was an error-dependent track and they had such good wind tunnel numbers in the preseason. Uh, now I kind of want to say yes again. I mean, look at that. Kyle Larson first in practice. Jamie McMurray second in practice. Those are your uh, your, your Chip Ganassi teammates there, one and two. Uh, Kyle Busch was third, but then William Byron and Chase Elliott four and five. And those are two pretty young drivers. Um, you know, you... you Often at Phoenix, it's it's definitely a, a driver track in that uh, certain drivers tend to have a handle of Phoenix, um, whereas like a lot of other tracks are very car dependent. But we're seeing the Chevys perform pretty well, and then and then we talk qualifying, like you said, three of the top four were Chevys. So uh, maybe I, again, I, I'm going to default to I would love to see practice, but maybe this mile and a mile not mile and a half i should say this mile track maybe it's better for them i don't know maybe they have better mechanical grip or or maybe it's just more of the driver style for some of these drivers at chevy i don't know but um you know all of the chevys seem to be doing a little better i, I can't say um you know that i think chevy is going to be like the dominant manufacturer because you know you look at practice times you see Jimmy Johnson, 14, Ryan Newman, 15, Austin Dillon, 16. That's pretty good. It's not great, but um, you know, maybe for Jimmy Johnson, compared to how he's done this year, it might be the best he's done this year in terms of practices. Uh, same with Newman and Dillon, kind of mid-range for them. Almondinger, 20th, and then you go – you got Daryl Wallace Jr., 25, Casey Kane, 26, Chris Buescher, 27. Uh, so they're all kind of on par. So maybe it's just a, a function of certain drivers getting the hang of it and uh, the Chevys not being as bad here as they are at mile and a half for some reason, but um, – yeah, it's tough to say, but I think I definitely think we'll see some competitive Chevys this weekend. Okay, Martin Truex Jr. He took the pole for Sunday's race. Uh, in the midweek episode, you put Kyle Busch ahead of him, but now that Truex is on the pole, do you think that he is the favorite to win? Yeah, that's a really, really good question. Um, and the reason I put Kyle Busch ahead of him, when we talk about uh, Phoenix, like I said, the midweek stats, you want to look at last 18 races. Certainly Truex has the edge there over Kyle Busch. But then you look at the flat tracks and at Phoenix specifically, uh, Kyle Busch has the edge over Truex over the last eight flat tracks. Uh, Ten point higher driver rating. Well, nine point higher driver rating. Uh, twice as many laps led and more fastest laps all for Kyle Busch. So, um, you know, I, it, a better average running position, all of these things point to Kyle Busch having the edge over Martin Truex Jr. in the flat track. So that's kind of why I did that. I also figured there would be a price discrepancy between the two, and there is a, a $400 price discrepancy between the two. Um, that said, you know, Kyle Busch practiced third, um, and Martin Truex Jr. practiced 10th. So Kyle Busch still has the speed, as we can at least tell from practice one. We'll have to see how practice two and three, of course, go. That's always a disclaimer. But then you look at qualifying, and uh, obviously Martin Truex Jr. on the pole. So 
he's certainly has speed in that car as well. Obviously, if you put your car on the pole, um, you have definitely have speed. Uh, and then you look at Kyle Busch, not that far back, starting seventh. So, um, you know, I think Martin Truex Jr. is a favorite. I don't know if he is the favorite, given Kevin Harvick is so good here, given, um, you know, I still think Kyle Busch may end up being better than Truex on the long run. Uh, like if we were to race this race 100 times over on flat tracks, just because that's what we've seen of Kyle Busch in recent history relative to Truex. So um, I don't know if Truex is the favorite, but you obviously can't can't discount the defending NASCAR champion who led just tons and tons of laps last year, uh, still led of the last eight flat track races, 20% of the laps and is starting on the pole. You definitely can't discount him. So, uh, uh, you know, I think people should own Truex a lot this weekend in, in GPPs, probably in cash games. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I mean, he's going to be a driver that people will use. The question is, is he someone we could possibly fade in GPPs? That, I think, is a little bit more of an interesting question. I think there's some merit to that given um, flat track performance, but uh, it's still tougher at Phoenix where, you know, it's such a predictable track and there's so few DNFs that I'm probably still just playing a lot of Truex even in GPPs. Okay, get ready for, I mean, I don't want to overhype it, but maybe the greatest uh, off-script follow-up question that I've ever asked because it shows that last episode I was actually paying attention. So last episode, I believe that you said starting position is actually an important factor in terms of the models for uh, for Phoenix or IMS or ISM or whatever it's now called. So for me, the, the question is, in thinking of Harvick, sorry, not Harvick, Truex versus Kyle Busch, how important is starting position versus uh, practice speed? Yeah, practice speed is still way more heavily weighted than starting position. Um, that said, starting position actually weighted pretty equally uh, to flat track history. So it's not in, unimportant, I should say, because um, – and you're, you're right, you paid attention to the midweek show because track position is very important here at Phoenix. It's all about track position. We saw Ryan Newman steal a win last year because he – didn't pit, uh, or, or he took two tires. I can't remember what the exact scenario is, but he took fewer tires than everybody else, um, whether it was zero or two, and started the green-white checkered restart from the front, from first position, and held off drivers with fresher tires because track position is so important here uh, that that's also why starting position is a factor in the model. So, um, you know, that definitely makes it a little harder for Kevin Harvick starting in 10th, but we've also seen Harvick win from even further back at Phoenix. So, uh, you know, drivers that are just so good at this track that have a great recent history can overcome uh, a bit of a starting position disadvantage. Okay, two guys you mentioned in the midweek episode uh, in that top tier, Kozlowski and Denny Hamlin. Um, Hamlin qualified sixth, Kozlowski only 25th. So how are you approaching those two now that we have uh, qualifying over? Yeah, and um, I, I like both of these two just because, as we talked about, Brad Kozlowski with the flat track driver rating last eight, 102.1. Um, Denny Hamlin, 100.6. So basically the same driver rating as Kozlowski, but has 12.5% of the laps led over the last eight flat tracks. Brad Kozlowski, 6% of the laps led. So they've both shown periods of dominance in some of the flat track races, um, Keselowski has a better average running position, which is why his driver rating is, is higher than Denny Hamlin's. But, uh, yeah, all in all, um, this is a good track for both of them. Uh, Hamlin, we know he's generally a good flat track driver. So starting in six, that's obviously a, a benefit to Hamlin. 
The question is, you know, with Hamlin being 9,200 and starting sixth, he's going to have to probably dominate a portion of the race to be in the winning lineup. Will he do that? Tough to say. You got Truex on the pole. You got Kyle Larson on the outside pole. You got Chase Elliott starting third. You got Kyle Busch in seventh. You got Kevin Harvick in tenth. Um, Logano in fifth. I mean, there's a lot of drivers who could do things in this race that, uh, you know, lead portions of this race that have been very good either in recent history or in flat track history that makes it tough for me to say Danny Hamlin is a play starting in sixth, even though I think he's very good at this track. Um, that said, we'll have to see what his ownership percentage is. If he's going to be 10, 15%, Maybe I like being 15, 20%. If he's going to be projected at 20%, maybe I like being 10%, something like that. Uh, so it's one of those, I would probably do the opposite of what the field is doing with Hamlin uh, in the you know in the 10 to 20% range, depending on whether the field is on the higher or lower end of that range based off the model projection. Uh, and that's going to come from practice times and things like that as well. Brad Kozlowski starting 25th, great cash gameplay, obviously. He's starting 25th. He should finish in the top 8, 10, 12, uh, if all things go well. And there's still 312 laps. It's not like you can't pass anybody uh, at Phoenix. There's going to be stage-ending cautions. There will be some other cautions. Uh, there will be – it's still possible to pass. I mean, it's much more like a mile-and-a-half track than the other short, flat tracks like New Hampshire and Martinsville that we talked about in the midweek show. Uh, so you can still pass at Phoenix. It's just a little harder than some other tracks. So Keselowski, I think we're definitely playing in cash games. And, and obviously, if you're playing a guy in cash – you're usually using them, a lot of them in GPPs as well. All right, so another guy you mentioned on the midweek episode, but someone to avoid was Jimmy Johnson uh, and avoid him for the second straight week. And uh, he was the slowest of the 400 cars in both opening practice and qualifying. He is starting 17th. Uh, at this point, is he still someone you are looking to fade? Probably. Um, his price actually jumped from last week. Now he's $9,000 this weekend. I don't know if it's just a new restructuring of price for DraftKings. We talked about all the expensive drivers. seems like they've kind of expanded the range of prices. Um, you've got Great Galding down at 4300 and, and Marks down at 4200 who's not actually racing this weekend. But uh, So it seems like they expanded the price range because usually the minimum is 4500 Occasionally they go down to 4443 But uh, it definitely seems like they've kind of uh, expanded the range. So it would make sense if they're extending the top of the range to extend the other top drivers and, and increase Johnson's price as well. But I still think he's a fade. Uh, his last 18 races, he hasn't been the best. His last eight flat track races, he's been poor uh, with a driver rating of only 77.7. I mean, that's behind drivers like Daniel Suarez, Jamie McMurray. Kurt Busch, Ryan Blaney, Clint Boyer, uh, Eric Jones, you know, some of the drivers you don't normally think of as ahead of him. Uh, and so, yeah, and he was the slowest of the 400 cars, and those are all the same equipment. So not only was he the slowest, he was the slowest in two ways, in opening practice and in qualifying. Now, granted, it's probably pretty similar because their fastest laps are all probably in qualifying trim and opening practice, and then obviously qualifying and qualifying trim. But uh you know, we'll reserve judgment again for final practice, but at this point in the weekend, it's kind of tough to say Jimmy Johnson is somebody you could start with confidence. Now, uh, if we race this race a thousand times, could he end up in the winning lineup starting 17th? Sure. Um, so what do I advise? 15% ownership, something like that on Johnson, maybe. 10-15, uh, I think sounds about right for Jimmy Johnson, but uh, uh, you know, obviously it's not somebody to 100% avoid. I don't think you can uh, ever say that with any driver um, for the most part, but Jimmy Johnson certainly sounds like somebody we should not have a lot of exposure to this weekend. Hey, sports fans, football season's here, and it's time to get in on the action with my bookie. 
MyBookie is the industry-leading sports betting website that offers real Vegas odds on football, baseball, and all your favorite sporting events. You can take a side, the total, or even fantasy points props. MyBookie lets you bet online and win big. Did the game already kick off? Don't sweat it. MyBookie has in-game live betting on every major league and event even esports. There's no better time to join MyBookie than today. Go to MyBookie to open an account and start winning. Use promo code CHAMPION when you register for your account and get a 100% sign-up bonus up to $1,000 on your first deposit. Bet today. Visit MyBookie's website or call 844-866-2387. That's 844-866-2387. Check them out today and use promo code CHAMPION for a 100% bonus. Terms and conditions apply for entertainment purposes only. Void where prohibited. Okay. I'm going to uh, pull the curtain back a little bit. I think is has been made evident by people listening uh, to the show or not made evident by the people. made evident by us to the people listening to the show. Um, I don't have much to do with the outline. And by much, I mean I have nothing to do with the outline. So I feel, I feel sometimes you write these questions where uh, I ask them. And I sound stupid by asking the question. And then you can be like, uh, no, that was a horrible question. And I feel that this next question is one of those questions. So so here it is. Uh, Alex Bowman, he almost won the race two years ago, filling in for Dale Earnhardt Jr. Uh, he's starting fourth on Sunday. He's priced only at 7900 Is he a sneaky dominator candidate this weekend? So you're expecting me to answer no, right? I'm expecting you to be like, uh, no, not really. Um, no, not really. No, actually, I don't think he's the worst uh, potential sneaky dominator candidate this weekend. Um, the reason I wrote that is because I kind of wanted to talk about him. Um, he did have that great race at Phoenix. He wasn't the fastest of the Hendrick cars in opening practice. That was uh, – we talked about William Byron uh, and then Chase Elliott, fourth and fifth in opening practice. Alex Bowman was 12th, but again – how much is opening practice actually indicative of race conditions? Alex Bowman not only almost won that race at Phoenix, he absolutely dominated that race. Like he Kevin Harvick that race, that race he almost won. And the only reason he didn't is because he got wrecked from behind on a late restart. Uh, I believe it was by Matt Kenseth. And uh, he absolutely crushed that race. So $7,900. He starts fourth. Almost everybody's going to fade him, I would guess, just because he's starting fourth and he's not known as a powerhouse name um if he's what projected to be 10 percent owned i honestly don't hate 15 to 20 percent on depending on how he practices now if he just is total trash in practice he's probably a complete fade actually in some ways that almost might make him a better play just because then he would be like five percent owned but uh i'm certain practice will affect ownership percentages but uh it really depends on i think alex bowman is one of those drivers i think it will really depend on his ownership percentage either way you don't want to go bananas on him um, because it's an unlikely scenario that he dominates, especially starting fourth, um, especially, uh, you know, that, that race at Phoenix, he was on the pole, I believe it was, and um, just absolutely dominated and track position so important. So it'll be tough for him to dominate starting from fourth, but I don't think we can rule it out. Um, we'll have to, like, like I said, we'll have to see practice, we'll have to see his projected ownership percentage, but kind of like Denny Hamlin, he's one of those drivers um, that I might take like 10% of if he's going to be, 7% owned or 12% of it if he's going to be 7% owned uh, or 15% somewhere in that neighborhood if he's going to be 7% owned. And if he's going to be projected 15% owned, maybe he'll have 5 or 0% just you know, kind of do a full fade. But uh, I kind of liken him in the same boat as Denny Hamlin in terms of their 
maybe they're dominator probabilities. The difference is in the price tag, $7,900 for Bowman versus Denny Hamlin, who's uh, $9,200. And that's a $1,300 difference in price tag. Granted, Bowman starts two spots further forward, so there's more risk. There's less place differential potential. But um, when you're picking drivers starting that far forward, you're usually hoping they finish in the top three and pick up some dominator points anyway. So that price difference is an advantage for Bowman over Denny Hamlin. All right. In relation to track type history, are there any drivers uh, based on uh, practice or on qualifying uh, that have surprised you in terms of uh, kind of exceeding their expectations? Heck yeah. William Byron price $6,900 on DraftKings this weekend. And, you know, that's been his lowest price tag of the year. He started in the 7K range because he's a rookie on Hendrick and a very highly touted rookie, if you want to call it that. Um, but uh, he qualified 11th, but we talked about his opening practice was fourth. Certainly that's eye-catching, especially for a young driver, especially with Chevrolets that have been struggling this year. And, and he was the fastest of the Hendrick Chevrolets in opening practice, um, the third fastest in qualifying, beat Jimmy Johnson in both of those sessions. So that's always notable. Uh, I definitely like... You know, I definitely like William Byron this weekend. And then um, certainly don't forget about Clint Boyer. We talked about him in the midweek show. These flat tracks have been very good for him. Uh, Practice, opening practice was nice to him. And then qualifying, he only qualified 19th, which leaves a lot of opportunity for place differential at a track like this. So I'm still on the Clint Boyer train. Uh, One other driver I should mention who's outperformed expectations that I don't think is a very good DraftKings play, but who's you know pleasantly surprised me is David Reagan, 22nd in opening practice and then qualifying 16th. So Phoenix, it really goes to show that it is a driver's track um, more so than some of these other tracks. There's less error dependency, less mechanical dependency. Um, not that the bigger teams still aren't the bigger teams and will do better, but there is some equalizing. And David Reagan qualified 16th. He's been known to be pretty good at flat tracks in the past. Uh, that 16th place qualifying effort and 22nd place practice effort is impressive. I just can't really see him going forward in the race. So that's kind of an issue for DraftKings. But uh, yeah, in terms of performance, I think that's been pretty impressive. Okay. And what about the drivers who have underperformed uh, expectations relative to track type history? Yeah. Well, we talked about Keselowski. Certainly that's an underperformance. Kurt Busch qualified 23rd. Um, you know, I think, uh, if you throw in practice also being 23rd, not really what we've come to expect from Kurt Busch, uh, flat tracks. He's got an 83.4 driver rating over the last, uh, last eight races there. So, you know, we look at what ranking is that that's 11th. Well, he shouldn't be 23rd and 23rd relative to what he's done over the last eight flat tracks. So, um, I actually think that's a good thing. It's kind of funny because when you say like somebody underperformed or somebody overperformed, Their performance so far has been disappointing, but that actually almost opens up a door for them in DraftKings purposes because they're starting so far back and they're usually better than this. So we expect them to move forward. So Kurt Busch should be a pretty solid play this weekend uh, at Phoenix. All right. Let's talk about domination. Um, You mentioned Bowman as a potential sneaky dominator. Who are your top candidates to dominate the race? Number one has to be Martin Truex Jr. Obviously on the pole, defending series champion, has led 20% of the laps the last eight flat track races. Uh, and track position is very important here. Um, we saw when Alex Bowman was on the pole how much he dominated here. So I think you have to go with Martin Truex Jr. Uh, then that means you have to go with the second place starter Kyle Larson there as the number two threat to dominate. Um, you know, I again, track position, track position, track position. We know 
Kyle Larson, at least in terms of flat tracks, hasn't been as good. But when we say hasn't been as good, I mean, we're saying he's been the sixth best driver over the last eight flat track races in terms of driver rating. So it's not like he's been terrible. Um, He hasn't dominated a ton, but he's really happy with his car. And of the flat tracks, like we've talked about, of the smaller flat tracks, the four smaller flat tracks, Phoenix is the one that's most like these mile and a half. So if there's one that he's going to be good at, it'll probably be Phoenix. Um, in terms of the third most likely dominator candidate, it could be possibly Denny Hamlin. It could be possibly Kyle Busch. And of course, we can't rule out Kevin Harvick. So I would probably give the nod to Kevin Harvick just based off track history, based off what he's done this year. Um, and, uh, you know, just how good he is at flat tracks in general. So I'll say Kevin Harvick third, but I think my opinion is Kyle Busch will be a very sneaky play again this weekend. Like he was this past weekend where he's in the winning lineup and only less than 30% owned. We might see something like that with Kyle Busch again this weekend. We'll have to see. Okay. Other drivers who are above 8,500, who's caught your eye? Uh, yeah. Well, I just talked about Kyle Busch certainly uh, has caught my eye. Um, outside of that, above 8,500, I think we've pretty much talked about everybody that I think is a good play. Um, you know, obviously Harvick, Truex, Kyle Busch, Kyle Larson, I think are all fine plays. Kazowski is a fine play starting 25th. I know it sounds like I'm naming everybody, but it, it kind of makes sense. Like, it's uh, all these guys are good plays because they're good drivers. Um, maybe we could face, fade Chase Elliott starting third. It'll probably be hard for him to dominate, especially given some of the Chevy issues this year. I don't think we can completely discount. And he is behind Kyle Larson and Eric Jones, actually, in driver rating uh, at the last eight flat track races. So that puts him in eighth. So maybe we fade Chase Elliott. But uh, in general, above 8,500, it's the guys I've mentioned. You could possibly have some Denny Hamlin starting sixth. Um, but uh, probably not a lot of Ryan Blaney, 8,900. And then Kurt Busch. Fine play at 8,600 because he starts 23rd. Okay, the mid-priced drivers, so the guys 7,000 to 8,500-ish. Uh, who are you interested in for cash games and GPPs? Um, I love Clint Boyer and GPPs. Starting 19th, we talked about him. Uh, very good flat track history. Uh, and uh, obviously, Stuart Haas Racing, Fords, they've been the you know the, the at least the manufacturer to beat so far this year. So. Certainly have to like Clint Boyer. Eric Jones starts ninth. We could be in a situation again where Kyle Busch and Eric Jones get overlooked. Uh, just like this past weekend, Eric Jones starts ninth, $8,300. His flat track driver rating uh, is the seventh best among all drivers in NASCAR over the last eight flat tracks. Um, he's led some laps, average uh, running position of 12.1. Uh, so certainly Eric Jones, I think is an interesting play for GPPs. You can't do them in cash games, obviously starting ninth, but, uh, you know, I definitely think a, another driver who could be 10% owned and maybe you should be playing him 15 or 20%, something like that in GPPs. Uh, some other names in there. Um, Eric Allen Rolla starts 22nd, not a terrible play, uh, in GPPs. Ricky Stenhouse Jr. starts 29th. I don't love him at, uh, at flat tracks, but obviously he's not a completely horrible play because, um, you know, he's, uh, was it the 16th best, 17th best driver rating? And then one of those that's ahead of him is Casey Kane, who's gone into inferior equipment over the last eight flat tracks. And he starts 29th. So um, probably a pretty good cash game play, Ricky Stenhouse Jr. there. Do I like him in GPPs? I Maybe maybe he's somebody you want to be underweight on in GPPs. If he's going to be 40% owned, maybe you want to be 30% on him, something like that. We'll have to see what happens with his ownership projection, what happens with practice. But I definitely like him in cash in terms of GPP. Maybe somebody be a little bit underweight on um, Daniel Suarez and Paul Menard start 14 and 15. Ryan Newman starts 13. So that range right there, 13, 14, 
15 with Newman, Menard, and Suarez. I wouldn't be shocked if one of those drivers ends up in the winning lineup. It's just a question of, of which, and I think practice will help us determine that. It's tough to say with Menard's track history because you know he's on a worse team, but uh, Ryan Newman and Daniel Suarez had very similar flat track driver ratings over the last eight. Right, there aren't even all that many drivers in the $6,000 to $7,000 range, but in that range, are there any value guys that you're, uh, you're eyeing right now? Um, you know, I kind of like Ty Dillon just because he starts the furthest back uh, for cash games. Um, he was the 24th best driver rating at the flat tracks, so uh, not, not terrible, I guess. I mean, if he's going to start the furthest back there in 28th, then he should move forward um, pretty safe in cash games. It's tough to say with Daryl Wallace Jr. as a rookie, um, but uh, I guess I don't hate the play in GPPs. Casey Kane starting 26th. He had a better driver rating than Austin Dillon, than Alex Bowman, than Eric Almirola over the last eight flat track races. But you have to remember Alex Bowman, some of those races were in an inferior team. Um, Casey Kane did that at Hendricks, and he was actually at Hendrick Motorsports, and he was actually worse than Jimmy Johnson in flat track rating, uh, despite being in you know, pristine equipment there. So don't really think I love Casey Kane, but it doesn't hurt to have experience. But, you know, there's it, when you're starting 26, 27, 28, you're not terrible GPP plays as long as you can kind of move forward. So those drivers, all three of them, I think we kind of just have to rely on practice speeds there. But uh, William Byron starting 11th is actually my favorite name from a GPP perspective, just because we've already seen top five speed from him this weekend in opening practice. So uh, $6,900, if you can get a driver who finishes you know, starts 11th and finishes 6th, and he's $6,900, you have to take that. So uh, William Byron is actually my favorite play in the 6K range for GPPs. Mm-hmm. All right, finally, the Joe Dirt Cheap drivers. Who do you like there? Um, it's funny. We talked about A.J. Allmendinger in the midweek show maybe being kind of a fade at the flat tracks just because everybody knows him from Martinsville, and he does so well at Martinsville, but the rest of his flat track driver rating, not very good. Well, he starts 20th, too far forward for me, so not going to be A.J. Allmendinger. I like Chris Buescher. He's even cheaper than last weekend, and he was in the winning lineup last weekend, and he finished, uh, what was it, like 15th or something. I mean, why is this guy priced at $5,600? It doesn't make sense. It It's the Chewbacca defense. It just does not make sense. Um, so Chris Buescher starting 24th, $5,600. you got to play him. Um, I like him probably in cash games given his price tag, definitely in GPPs. So Clint, or Clint uh, Chris Buescher is my Joe Dirt cheap play of the race. Nick, finally, remind everyone about the uh, the content schedule for the weekend. Yeah, so um, obviously two practice sessions tomorrow right after final practice. Get the article out, get the apps updated. Uh, I'll probably take a little bit of a break, a um, couple-hour break after I do all that, and then I'll come back, write the betting article and uh, for Action Network and uh, find a couple bets that we like to win. And uh, then Sunday morning, three hours before lock, we're going to be doing Road of His Live in Tecateville. Uh, it'll be 9.30 Pacific, 12.30 Eastern, because the race is locks at 3.30 Eastern, 12.30 Pacific. So, uh, yeah, Road of His Live Sunday morning, three hours before lineup's lock. Okay, I have a follow-up question here. Very random. So you've already been to one NASCAR race this year. You are planning on going to uh... – the race, not this weekend, but the weekend after that, correct? Correct, at Auto Club Speedway yeah, in Auto Club uh, Speedway. Fontana, California, which is a little bit outside of L.A. area. Okay. Now, my my question is, 
uh, if we had to set an over-under on the number of NASCAR events you attend this year, what do you think would be a pretty fair number? Let's say four and a half. That's what I was going to say. I was going to say, I think four and a half. Because I think you'll go to Vegas. Yep. And then I think there's a chance that if there's a live event this year, you maybe go to that. Even if there's not a live event, you maybe go to one other one just because it, it, you know, like Mm -hmm. it happens to be near you or whatever it is. And then, so there's that, that fifth one that's kind of uncertain. Yeah. I think that's exactly right. Like I would expect probably the end of the year, I go to Phoenix um, for the second to last race of the season would be an expectation. I don't know for sure, but I would expect. Uh, So then there's the, like you said, the wild card of one other. Do I go to Texas? Do I go, there's two Texas races. Do I go to Sonoma? Do I go somewhere else? Uh, That remains to be seen. So we will see. Okay. All right. Uh, I like that. What What are you you taking? Are you taking the over or under? Uh, I would take the over. I would take the over. I like it. I like it. Confidence. I hope I take the over. I'm going to the IndyCar race at Long Beach as well in April, second weekend in April. Yeah, that – see, if I had known – well, I don't think it would have factored into it, but that that could have been – you know, like if you're going to that race, maybe that's one NASCAR race you don't go to. You know, so that maybe maybe factors in a little bit, but I think you'd probably still go to more than four and a half. Season's still season's still pretty long. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking. Uh, Okay, that is going to do it for this NASCAR edition of On the Daily. For Nick Giffen on Twitter at Rotodoc, I'm Matt Friedman, Matt at the Oracle. Thanks for tuning in. Thank you for listening to On the Daily, the Rotoviz Daily Fantasy Sports Podcast, powered by Rotoviz Radio. And special thanks to Randy E. Aguabo for the introduction. Please review the podcast on iTunes under the established Rotoviz Radio feed. Contact us via email on the daily DFS at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at on the daily DFS. Love a good deal? Sail into the season at Banana Republic Factory's Mega Labor Day Sale. Entire store 50 to 70% off. Dresses from $19.99. Polos from $16.99. Find your nearest store or shop online only at Banana Republic Factory. They call you the Grill Master. You've seared the thickest porterhouse in the butcher shop. And as you lift that first forkful to your mouth, you savor the moment. To get amazing offers during the Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, like the 2019 C-Class Sedan and GLC SUV, the perfect recipes of driving performance. Plus, you can enjoy six months of Sirius XM All Access included. The Mercedes-Benz Summer Event, now serving limited-time offers on a select lineup of vehicles. Offers end September 3rd. Mercedes-Benz, the best or nothing.